Hi, this is David Shoemaker, and I'd like to welcome you to the latest segment of Living Thelema. This month, we're going to talk about sex magic and mysticism, and I anticipate this will be the first of two parts um, that I'm going to devote to this topic. Now, of course, there are many traditions across history that have included esoteric instruction in the use of sexuality as a sacrament, as a mode of forging a mystical link with the divine. Various tantric and Taoist traditions have um, featured these approaches. And of course, within Thelema, we have a diverse set of practices, instructions, imagery to access, many explanatory writings of Crowley's in terms of the use of sexual magic and mysticism. And of course, that's going to be our focus today, looking at the way these uh, techniques can be approached within a Thelemic context. Now, it's no secret that the OTO teaches progressively across all its degrees the secrets of sexual magic, among its other aims. Now, I'm not going to be discussing anything I know to be proprietary, uh, a proprietary secret of OTO, of course. What I'm going to talk about today are my observations of the general formula that are present in uh, many of the tra traditions that I've studied, including Thelema. And these have been presented publicly in various publications uh, over the past few decades, and these are my reflections, so certainly nothing uh, official in terms of the OTO here. This is a vast subject, and as with many magical techniques, you could spend a lifetime devoted to studying only this and not exhaust its possibilities, not uh, not run out of things to experiment with. And um, so we'll just scratch the surface today, but I think uh, we'll give you some suggestions that will be useful. I've already mentioned Tantra, and in case you don't know this, Tantra, the word Tantra, actually refers to weave or weaving. And the essence of this is that the, the tantric practices, the, the, the sexual, magical, and mystical practices that we're going to be talking about involve a weaving together of the experience of life as it occurs through the human, the experience of divine ecstasy as it occurs in and through the human, and the the imagery of the weaving idea is is a beautiful one here because it it really brings it home that that uh, sexual magic and mysticism is all about fully living in the world in our bodies and this is so quintessentially thelemic and and so pleasantly um, post uh, Christian in the sense of uh, dualism of of the body as a as a sinful or um, lesser aspect of our nature. Here in in sexual magic and mysticism in a thelemic context and in many others, um, we are really allowed and encouraged to live fully in our bodies and, uh, and experience ecstasy as a manifestation of the divine, not as something that is uh, separate from it. Now, sex magic is first and foremost magic. Uh, I think we can get off track if we if we think about sex magic as something separate from the usual sort of definitions and processes that we associate with any other magical technique. It's an understanding of the proper force behind properly formulated images or goals applied in the proper direction and with the proper techniques uh, to the desired end. 
And one way of thinking about this that may give you a model that, that helps is um, if you look at the formula of tetragrammaton, yote vav he, um, one definition of magic is that we pronounce the name, so to speak, of, of tetragrammaton in all the four worlds simultaneously. Uh, the four worlds being Atsaluth, Bria, Yetzira, and Asiya. So think about this in the context of, of sexual formula. We have, as Yod, we have the, the primal force itself, that universal generative power uh, that we could symbolize by the wand or the lance. Uh, we have the He, uh, the vessel for that power, the this, this soul of the operator, the magical operator, um, the cup or the grail. And those are obviously the Atsaluthic and the Briatic levels. This is sort of the uh, the battery, the the force behind the operation. Then we have the Vav, symbolizing the world of Yatsira. Um, it's the use of the mind to shape the force into the desired goal, uh, impressing the will upon the eventual talisman, uh, shaping the will to be precisely what we need it to be to embody the goal once it's impressed on the talisman. And finally, the final hay, the, the world of Asiya, uh, is that talisman or the, the elixir in the case of a magical operation, sex magic operation, or uh, in any other magical operation, you might have a talisman of some sort, uh, a Eucharist, for example. So take that model of the four worlds and consider that beside what you know from the Gnostic Mass, for example, maybe the next time you study the Mass or attend a Mass, consider how that formula might unfold um, and how the Mass itself could be considered a template for uh, a single magical working or as an example of the handling of the various energies in the four worlds and how they become uh, impressed upon the eventual talisman in, in the Eucharist. Um, consider any other magical working that you do in light of this formula of the four worlds. And I think you'll, you'll find some, uh, some useful ideas there. Now, um, I mentioned that Thelema seemed to me to be a, a particularly well-suited to, uh, to tantric work. And um, you don't have to look far to find some strong evidence of that. If you look through um, Crowley's commentaries to the Book of the Law, uh, is incredibly rich and full of uh, diverse comments about sexual magic uh, and mysticism, both in terms of technique and in terms of philosophy behind it. So if you want your your primer on, on this uh, from Crowley's point of view, you could hardly find a better place to start than the commentaries. I'll have some other recommendations for texts on the podcast blog. When you read through the Book of the Law and you... And you can see that we have these deities like, you know, whether you consider them external deities or not, we have these ideas, these concepts of Nuit and Hadith, these polarities, and Rahurquit as the, as the resulting union. We have these images really ripe and ready to use to, to uh, match up with these inner processes that we're going to be talking about in terms of magic and mysticism of, of sexuality. When Nuit talks about in chapter one, the consciousness of the continuity of existence. We can see in that uh, a passage that evokes that sense of uh, the tantric experience as one where we weave together all of the divine ecstasy of the universe itself, the, the universe experiencing itself 
through our ecstasy. Nuit saying that uh, her joy is to see our joy. Um, these kind of ideas. For all of these uh, ideas drawn from the Book of the Law, um, your principal reference, as I said before, is Crowley's commentaries. And I'd refer you specifically to his commentaries on chapter 1, verses uh, 12, 51, 52, and 63, and chapter 2, verses 26 and 70, and chapter 3, verses 55 through 57. We've got the, the tantric language built into our system. We don't need to uh, impose doctrines, dogmas, or names even from any other tradition in order to, uh, to have a living and vital uh, uh, tantric uh, expression within our own uh, Thelemic culture, in our own Thelemic practices. So let's move on to look at what I consider to be some important prerequisites to effective use of sexual magic and mysticism techniques. In no particular order, uh, and with varying degrees of emphasis, uh, here's what I think you really need to have nailed down. You need to be able to uh, control your mind, to show some mastery of Raja Yoga techniques. Uh, you need to have cultivated the ability to direct magical force through the control of your mind, you know, with the the mental control as, as a uh, channel. Uh, you need an internally consistent symbol system that includes emotionally significant avatars of these universal opposites, which traditionally would have been called Shiva and Shakti. Um, we have Hadith and Nuit. We have the beast in Babylon and so on. You've got to have a connection to the imagery that you use in order to appropriately inflame yourself to unite these opposites. You have to be able to cultivate that sense of yearning and really feel viscerally that sense of yearning for Hadith, of Hadith for Nuit and of Nuit for Hadith uh, to, uh, to really connect these outer ideas to their inner counterparts. Otherwise, it's a dry system. It's just, you know, words on paper. You need to have knowledge of your own arousal patterns self-evident. Gradually, you've got to build in yourself a certainty and a, and a vivid experiencing of the identity of the divine and the ecstatic. The gradual process is, is one of identifying sexual ecstasy with divinity itself and identifying divinity with ecstasy. Um, ecstasy becomes accessible as a general phenomenon, independent of what we previously thought of as being sexual, in quotes. So in almost a Pavlovian sort of way, you gradually, progressively, increasingly have the inner experience that uh, God is really sexy and sex is really divine. And, and these two ideas become inseparable. And then gradually what, what happens is this, the ability to find ecstasy in every phenomenon as we are enjoined to do opens up as, as a reality for you when fully living your will and fully living life, knowing that you are participating in the universal, and I'm sounding unduly cosmic here, but the, the, you are participating in the universe experiencing itself and, and you're a vital part of that. And, and uh, to find that ecstasy in your everyday life is, is a real gift. And the, sexual 
mysticism that we're dealing with here, I think is a gateway to that. Also sexual ecstasy itself, even at the biological level that we experience it anatomically is a gateway to will. In my view, ecstasy is what doing our will feels like when we're immersed in it. So since every human's will involves sex at some level, presumably sex feels ecstatic. Uh, if you generalize this and find that ecstasy in all of your daily activities, that's that thing, that experience that you might normally simply relate to those great feelings you get during sex is accessible to you as a phenomenon of, of everyday life in, in any context. That's why Tantra is not merely sexual, but the sexual component is the gateway to the most intense uh, experiences of it and um, can light the way to, to this uh, more subtle work um, that happens in everyday life. Uh, other helpful prerequisites, uh, a magical relationship with a sex partner, uh, including a shared symbolic system. Um, from what I've just said, it should be pretty self-evident that uh, the more the two partners can be aligned in terms of the names and powers um, that they associate with certain energies and their inner experience of them, the more powerful the, the techniques will be. Um, having a sexual relationship with the magical sex partner is also beneficial because it's um, not necessarily required, but it is beneficial because you will have a mutual uh, physical, emotional, and sexual uh, vocabulary with each other, a certain shared um, experience that's already on board. And it's vital to have good communication with your partner about all of these things, both on the magical level, on the emotional level, on the relationship level. Um, because if there is tension between the partners uh, on any of these levels, you compromise the effect of the working. Now, uh, let me give you a basic outline of the training that, that occurs um, in Thelemic sex, magic, and mysticism. And, and I've broken this down into three stages, which uh, I think you can sort of abstract from a lot of the traditions we're talking about, but certainly in, in Thelema. Uh, you might consider what I'm about to say in light of the Gnostic Mass. Watch for these stages as they occur with the between the, the priest and priestess in the Mass. Um, a lot of what I'm saying here is going to be drawn substantially from uh, Crowley's commentaries on the Book of the Law as well. The three stages... I like to think of as purification, consecration, and initiation. Uh, in the first phase of purification, what you're purifying is your relationship to the sex force itself, to the, the sexual, generative, life-giving, life-bringing principle that's resident in all humans. In our culture and in many other cultures across time, of course, there's a lot of shame and guilt associated with sexuality. And so uh, in order to fully comprehend and experience and express the divinity of the sexual force and the sexual impulse, we first need to wash away, to purify um, those residual um, shame and guilt shards that cling to us. And, uh, some of the techniques that may be useful in doing this would be uh, things like 
some some meditation sessions uh, where you bring to mind uh, all sorts of clearly positive and um, I don't know how else to say it pleasant feeling uh, aspects of the concept of generativity, growing plants or the sun or images uh, from mythology of deities that, that are uh, for you sort of vibrantly alive and healthy and life-giving with a tinge of, of, of the sexual, such as uh, the goddess Aphrodite or um, Pan or Priapus or things like that. So, what you're doing is you are reprogramming yourself, um, those aspects of yourself that may have been unduly influenced by the shame and guilt complexes that, that we tend to have even un- unconsciously. You are, you are reprogramming your associations so that uh, sexuality becomes this vital, living, positive uh, force in, in all its aspects. Purity, of course, means that a thing is only itself. And we want the sex force, that life force that we're working with, to be only itself, so that you can be in right relationship to it as the operator. Um, The next phase, as I said, is that of consecration, the consecrating of the sex force to desired goals. And most specifically, as uh, an aspect of training, what you're training is the the ability to direct the force to unite with specific ideas and or entities. Uh, you're training your mind to harness the force that you have purified and under will direct it in very specific ways. Um, so this could be practiced, I think most fundamentally, one of the, the practices you should uh, consider trying is the idea of um, devoting all of your ecstasy to Nuit, um, most specifically to uh, devote the ecstasy of, of orgasm to Nuit, to, uh, to see this as an offering and to see your ecstasy as hers. I have to say that over many years of practice, I have seen this in myself and my students uh, as one of the most powerful means of strengthening and sharpening the will itself. I'll leave it there, but I think you'll find that, uh, that this will be a powerful tool in the arsenal if you, if you adopt it. You can, use, you can consecrate your, your will, of course, to other aims, naturally. That's the nature of the choice of a magical goal. Um, so the evoked power of the sex force could be directed to uh, to unite with any other idea that relates to the goal of your operation. If you had, uh, if you were doing some Enochian work, for example, and you wanted to um, have uh, a more vivid and vital experiencing of the entity that you're evoking, you can devote the energy of sex to that. And, um, and uh, again, the key here is always to kind of fall in love with the object of of the ritual, the object of the of the the working, to really be in a romance, uh, so to speak, with the entity you're invoking, or uh, so on. Um, so, 
that's the consecration phase. The the next phase of initiation, the full formula practiced with a partner. You know, ideally what you're doing here is you're combining the virtues of the above training in the purification and consecration uh, of both participants. Um, the force that you generate, therefore, is uh, going to be multiplied. Uh, the efficacy of the shaping of the goal in the Yetzeratic world in terms of uh, using the use of the mind to to channel the force in its appropriate direction to the appropriate end is going to be multiplied by virtue of both participants being trained. And to echo Crowley's theory on this, since the actual physical components of the Eucharist, the combined sexual fluids, are designed by nature to carry forth will in the form of the life of the species, um, the first matter of your working is, by design, a vessel of will force. Um, so all you're doing is adding the imprint of the desired magical goal. And the training in the technology of doing this is the central task in this third phase um, that I'm calling initiation. Um, so purification, consecration, initiation, um, consider this as a template for your own progressive work in sexual magic and mysticism. Now, I'm going to do something I've not done in any other Living Thelema segment, um, and that is give you homework. And luckily enough for you, the homework is occurring during the sexual magic and mysticism segment, so you can thank me later. Now, I'm going to give you some uh, homework that, that maps out to the, uh, the stages of the training that I've just identified, uh, specifically purification and consecration in this case. What I want you to do is spend some meditation sessions as I uh, alluded to earlier, contemplating the generative forces in nature. Uh, again, some common everyday kind of things may be suitable here, like a, a growing tree or contemplating the, uh, the endless process of the evolution of the species, DNA, the sun, the idea of the cosmic lingam and yoni, whatever, whatever you choose, whatever works for you, Lance and Grail. Meditate on these themes until you have cultivated an ability to create a sacred atmosphere while meditating on these things. In other words, you've purified your internal imagery and the, the gears are turning in such a way that this creates a sacred space for you to meditate on these things. Uh, now, once you can do that, start bringing in sexual feelings, um, rem remembrances of past sexual experiences, uh, uh, visualizations of, of experiences. Make these feelings as vivid as possible while you are still in this sacred space created by the contemplation of these ideas. And so what you're doing, as I referenced, is you're sort of in a Pavlovian sense pairing the sacred and the ecstatic and, uh, if you repeat this process a few times successfully, then you're ready to move on to the other part of the homework. And that is to devote all ecstasy to Nuit between now and the next podcast segment. Uh, live each day devoting all pleasure, all ecstasy, most specifically um, your sexual ecstasy. Devote that to Nuit consciously uh, as fully as possible with full intention of, of offering this as if into the grail of, of Babylon and Nuit. So do these practices for the next month or so between listening to this podcast and listening to the part two 
uh, segment next month. And um, I think uh, you'll find that this sets you up for the instruction and discussion that's coming next. So let's try that. And as always, thanks for listening. This will bring this segment to a close. Um, Please uh, visit me at livingthelima.com where you can see uh, the reading list and other recommended resources for this podcast and others. Uh, Also, my biography is up there if you're interested. Then um, also we, of course, have the Facebook page, uh, Living Thelema, so I encourage you to to, uh, like that on Facebook. And um, as always, if you have any questions, comments, suggestions for future segments, uh, please send those to me at livingthelema at me, me.com. So thanks very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed it.